Welcome, Pudding People, to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. We're your hosts, Ken Seymour and Richard Geiger. How are you, good sir? Doing well. Now, excited about talking about good movies. Yes. That we've all seen in a time period not long ago. No, this is this is really weird. We are continuing with our history of comic book movies and the second portion of 2017 that we had not gotten to from our previous episode. And it's going to be a rare episode where not only have we seen all of the films that we're going to be talking about, but generally had a favorable response to all of them, too. So I, I don't know what to make of that. Timing. Uh, popularity. And we've already discussed half of the other movies from this year that, you know, yeah. really, generally speaking, fills our typical review with some that we haven't seen, some that are good, some that are haven't bad, but we kind of purposefully save the best for last, in a sense. Now, to be fair, uh, this will be somewhat uh, rehashed for those of uh, those of you that have heard some movie reviews from us in the past, because we have actually reviewed uh, a couple of these films. Uh, but that's what happens when you progress through time. <laughs> Eventually, you're going to run into the movies that you've already reviewed. So we won't go into too great a detail. But as always, uh, for those of you that have uh, not been following us to this point, a comic book film is, of course, a film based upon a comic book. It had to have been a comic book first, or at the very least, it could not have been in a audio-visual format like a television show before it was created into a comic and then converted into a film. Um, and always there are going to be spoilers. I mean, but it, I didn't worry about it too much on most of the previous ones. A little, little more worry. 2017 is only four years ago at the time of this recording. Uh, some of it not quite four years ago. So it's, it's a little, a little closer. Uh, so if you have any interest in seeing these films and not being spoiled by what we are going to talk about, you may want to stop at the point we talk about these films. Of course, a lot of these movies have some attachment to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Some of them do, but some of them are discussed in terms of comic book movies in general uh, because of the popularity, because of the quality. So I feel like by now, if you haven't seen a, a few of these movies, you're out of the loop on the MCU anyway. Right. Uh, but there's another one that's in there that's outside of the loop that's well worth watching. Definitely, definitely so. Um, so what we're going to start with is the only short film out of the grouping. Um, and it's almost like a commercial, really, more than anything else, because it was meant to, to whet the appetite uh, for uh, for a very specific, uh, what was it, sequel at that point they were working on. Yep. Um, and I am talking about uh, a short film called Deadpool No Good Deed. Um, it was the same uh, director that did the films. Uh, so if you're familiar with Deadpool, well, it's, it's still Ryan Reynolds. It's just a fun little thing that lasts like four minutes long. And uh, it's just goofy and uh, has a little Stanley cameo in it. So it's, you know, it's always fun. It's just a little, a little fan service in preparation for the film. Yeah. And it kind of plays on the Deadpool character in a perfect way where you think something's going to happen and then it doesn't and it happens and it doesn't. But then you're like, 
okay, it's kind of funny. Yeah, exactly. It's it's just uh, fourth wall breaking silliness and, you know, just a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, that's all we have to say about that. There's just not much to it. It was just a nice little short film that came out in 2017. Yep. Um, and then we're going to go to the only non-MCU film, though still Marvel-based, in this particular gaggle of films we're talking about. In 2017, uh, they had a capper to the... Well, it was a capper at the time, anyway, to the extraordinarily complicated and awful timeline that was the, uh, was it Fox that had control of uh, the X-Men films? Yes. Uh, But uh, instead of uh, contributing to any of the weirdness, they just did a take on a series of comics uh, that they did uh, called Old Man Logan uh, in, in... in stores and made it into a film kind of, and just called it Logan. So it still takes place in the same universe as the other X-Men films. We get to see Hugh Jackman reprise his role, which I mean, I mean, I, I don't know if anyone will ever be as good at being Wolverine as Hugh Jackman was. Uh, I'm hoping to see him maybe one more time again, just, just briefly, if nothing else in the future. But, uh, Seeing a, an aged and beaten down uh, Logan in this film was just fantastic. I, I think in this movie, what really drew people in is that it still has the characters and the actors that you're familiar with, but it had a different feel from what the comic books, comic book presentations had been in the past. Uh, so first off, it's a rated R, which is obviously a big turn from most of the previous comic book movies in general. Obviously, Deadpool right. was an R-rated movie shortly before it. But what Deadpool did was show that you could actually do an R-rated movie and have it be successful and make money. And we're talking about more specifically within about the 10-year span of when the real glut of comic movies had come out yep. because a lot of the older films really already were rated R uh, comic book films. I mean, we love the Blade movies. Those were definitely <laughs> definitely rated R. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were a lot of comic films uh, that were rated R, but the ones that had really garnered attention and gathered a following, they wanted to stay safely in that PG-13 territory. Um, and you really couldn't do the old man Logan storyline justice in PG 13. And it's really nice that they recognized that and gave it some room to breathe. Well, if you think about the first X-Men movie and how far they had come since then, but also how far the comic book industry had come since then, Mm -hmm. right? It was a big turnaround and you're right. The PG 13 at the time had more of that attention for all or most age groups. You know, if you if you watch the Harry Potter movies, for example, like they attracted a wide range of audiences, but obviously a lot of those were more geared towards the younger audience. But as you saw those movies progress and the kids got older, maybe the audience grew older too with it, but it was still directed towards a younger group. But the material that was in it... Mm, had a little bit more substance to it for older kids, right? Right. And I feel like as the comic book industry, in terms of the movies progressed, you just saw that 
you know, the what could be presented on screen, what was more acceptable on screen in terms of whether it was blood and gore or language just became more socially acceptable. The rating may have stayed the same, but I felt like more people were able to or willing to let younger kids view, watch, partake, take in all that type of stuff in that, you know, 17, 20 year range. It just changed a lot. Yeah. Now, uh, I do want to touch on the director of the film, James Mangold. Um, If you are not familiar with this gentleman's work, um, he's done quite a lot of really quality films over the years. Uh, Copland got a lot of uh, a lot of notice for him back in the late 90s. Uh, I'm a big fan of his work. It's a rom-com, but a rom-com with sci-fi elements, which you just don't generally see. Uh, being uh, Kate and Leopold, uh, time-traveling romance comedy, what doesn't make any sense, but it works. It's fantastic. You got uh, 310 to Yuma, which is just so gritty and, and great that he did in the past. He already had experience in this particular version of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, not the MCU, sorry, I shouldn't say that, but the Fox properties of Marvel uh, with the Wolverine previously. So, I mean, dude's, dude's got, the, got the chops, got the experience. Uh, has made some really good stuff. What is he making now that shows he's got, you know, the obviously the industry behind him? Um, probably, uh, probably nothing I want to talk about because <laughs> I'm so I'm so afraid that I'm going to jinx it. <laughs> but yeah, he's he's working on the new Indiana Jones film. Okay, so somebody must like him. Yeah, I I think this particular movie bought him a lot in terms of. I don't know, clout? Yeah. Well, he, was, he, was, he was already good before that, yeah. but this one kind of took it up a notch. The one he did after this one was Ford versus Ferrari. Which was good, too. Garnered a lot of um, award nominations, if I'm not mistaken. So he's he's on a roll right now. Oh, yeah. The Indiana Jones one's going to be tough. Yeah, it's going to be rough because, well, at the very least, it's going to be better than the one that it it's following. Yes, the Christ- Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls. Oh, man, that was so bad. Yeah. Uh, but I, we're not going to talk about that because it's already been talked to death. Uh, the vast majority of people rightly understand that that was just a steaming pile of not good film. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, so the cast on this, we have some people returning to roles. Obviously, Hugh Jackman and Patrick Stewart returning to their roles. And then a lot of people that... Uh, are coming in just for the film. Now, I'm a big fan of Stephen Merchant, who is just a really witty and funny individual to begin with, and yep. to put him in such a deep cut with the Caliban character in this was just such a great, uh, great choice. And he did he did an excellent job of bringing a life to the character that I never read him in that voice in that kind of way. It's like, oh yeah, that 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 actually works better than the way that I originally had thought it would be. It it's a really good cast. I liked, uh, honestly, I like Boyd Holbrook. Oh yeah, and he's been in a lot of. I don't know. I don't know if I'd say similar type roles after that. He was in. Uh, he was in Narcos mm-hmm. also, and I thought he was excellent in Narcos, but. I enjoyed his character in this yeah. film. Yeah, they're great. Uh, seeing Eric LaSalle, uh, 
I can't see him and not think about Soul Glow every single every single time I see him. <laughs> That's true. Now, That's admittedly, uh, he, mo- more people think of him uh, from a hospital drama, but. Yes. That's not me. Uh, I will always see Soul Glow. <laughs> <laughs> a movie that we have recently reviewed. Yeah, it uh, makes me just just joyous each time. But yeah, so this, this whole film, it's got just a, a really nice, serious tone um, without being just taking... A lot of times when a, when a comic film tries to be too serious it's hard for the audience to really buy into it because there's such a fantastical elements to it and all, and some of the some of the things just don't play in the same way that it would on a comic book page but things are so kind of down to earth for the most part more more real in a lot of respects not most not all the respects cuz you still got a guy with a metal skeleton <laughs> running around uh, and a few mutants here and there but still, it feels it feels more real uh, than a lot of things, and I thought that helped it a lot. And I also think it's hard to have a younger actor actress be successful in a role as as well. And I thought the Daphne Keene, mm-hmm. who I guess more or less was um, arguably, if not the main focus at least one of the main characters of the entire movie i didn't think she was distracting no attracting it at all she's that's a great hard, that's hard to do for to find the right person to put in that role but then also have that person deliver and do so well but i think she's also older than she appears too well you know it, it's that happens a lot of times with the people that are going to be playing children it's you have to get somebody that looks the part, but they have to be able to have that capability to carry the role. Now she was twelve when this was released, so she might have been ten when she was filming it. Right. So um, one of those instances where no, <laughs> she was she was about the right age. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. So Logan, twenty seventeen. If you haven't seen it, what's wrong with you? Go watch it. Um. Then we get into the uh, we get into the MCU stuff. There's quite a few. Uh, I feel like this is right when they started pumping the movies out. It used to come two of them, right? One earlier in the year, yeah. maybe one later in the year, and now we got three of them in this year. And then after that, it just keeps. It seems building. like it increases. Yep. That'll change a little bit just because of things that have happened, but. Uh, yep. Yeah, I think they want to continue to get at least three films per year that are pulling at our wallets a little bit. And you know what? So long as they can maintain the level of quality that they've got, I will be happy to continue to pay. Technically, there's four this year. Yeah. Yeah. Got to make up for lost time, I think. One per quarter. Um, But we're going to talk about a sequel uh, to another MCU film that was a surprising hit in a lot of people's eyes when it came out. Uh, maintains the same director from the original to the sequel. We're going to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, just briefly. Um, James Gunn, still at the helm in the second film. James Gunn understands comic book movies. He's shown it time and again. He just gets it. And sure, he has his own liberties that he will take for certain characters or certain things. Right. But I think you have to do that in in this particular industry. But... 
you're right. He presents something that both resonates for the people financing the movie, but it also resonates with all the people watching the movie and then all the folks that are like the true behind-the-scenes comic book fans. You get a lot of the elements for all his movies as well. Plus, he, generally speaking, has a good soundtrack to go along with his films as well. So whether that's his say or whether that's somebody that he brings on creating that, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of awesome. So, I mean, this has a returning cast. Basically, everybody from the previous film uh, came into it. And then we got even more people to come in on top of that to, to just wow us with their, their abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, you know, is... This is okay. So here's here's the best example I can give of how he understands comic book films, and I enjoy what he does. If any other director, maybe well, I've missed probably not fair, but if many other directors, many other attempts at this would have been made, and they would have taken the Drax the Destroyer character and said, okay, we want to do Drax the Destroyer, but we want to do him like his weakest, lamest, most current version. I would have been upset because I really did not like the changes they made. They took all of the teeth out of the character so that uh, when in the comics the he finally achieved his dream and destroyed Thanos, it was just a plot hammer and it was worthless. It just meant nothing. Um, so I would have thought, man, I would hate that. But when you combine the fact that Drax is being played by Dave Bautista, which is, to me, would make no sense to cast him as that, but worked so well, and just added in a comedic element that was not present in the comic book version, okay, actually now it kind of works, and and it didn't bother me as much. And he still got most of what the the feel of the characters, all of the characters had. And the writers, uh, uh, the writing on it is just, it's solid. I mean, it's super solid. Well, one of your main characters is uh, a tree <laughs> that has what I am group three words that are spoken. And then in this character, in this film, well, we're gonna do the teenage, the the, the actually the toddler version, let's say, um, as it is growing up again. I am grouped. So you throw that stuff, and they're like, "Oh, okay, nice twist on that." <laughs> One of your other characters is a raccoon. Yeah. So how do you make that character, which how it's presented in other media, the character's still pretty cool anyway. Oh, but yeah. how do you put that on the big screen so everybody likes it? So it's not, and it's not just, you know, those characters. It's everybody. It's everybody's character. Like oh, yeah. So the Yondu character of the comic books is a little weird, weird, right? And, and they've translated it in film form to be pretty entertaining, yeah. right? True to, true to form to the comic book. No. no, but a good translation yeah. in the liberties taken with it. And then I, I think Mantis is the same way. She's super serious in the comics, not funny at all. And in the translation they did where she's just a space cadet is yeah. the best way. Cause a lot of people like, Oh, they, they make her stupid. It's like, no, she's not stupid. She's just, 
kind of constantly paying attention to a lot of stuff, so she's never quite right with you and just isn't used to other people. That works exceptionally well. And if you if you look at the other movies, so if you look at, let's say, um, the, the other movies that are in our 2017 that we're going to review, they, they, have a, they have great casts as well. But there's maybe how many main core characters. And this movie's got how many main core characters? Just a ton. Yeah. So how do you get enough screen time? How do you get enough dialogue between everybody to make it work? And once again, success. Um, it's just the both of these movies are just really good. And yeah. I'm excited to see the next one that, that is going to come out. Yeah, um, I was excited to see um, the movie from a month ago, the Suicide Squad movie. All right. Uh, because he did that one as well. So I think anything that he does from a comic book standpoint, I'm going to be pretty excited about yeah. watching. And just having, even even though he's in like a, two scenes, seeing Sylvester Stallone in this, in the small part that he's got, just great. And I have to wonder if that's how he got him for the other film. Yeah. Um, but Kurt Russell is always great in everything and just does not disappoint in his part as ego. I mean, how do you portray a living planet? I mean, seriously, how does that work? And they pull it off. Um, and we talked about Ben Browder in the last episode of the history of comic book movies. Mm-hmm. Well, there he is, the sovereign admiral. Um, so, I mean, it's just even even the people that are in small, small roles are just big people. Um, <laughs> so it's just kind of crazy. Just the sheer amount of acting talent, the, the great writing, the great directing, the soundtrack, it just all gels. And if you remember this movie, the whole opening scene sequence. It's a dance. Is a dance, right? And you see all the things happening in the background, and it just builds on. It sets up the the movie for just like out of the box. Hey, this is awesome! But it also gives you the elements of all the problems and the things that could happen down the road for the entire movie as well. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. This isn't my favorite of the MCU movies. But it's one of the top ones. It's really good. It's really up there. So rewatchable. Now, I guess I guess what I want to say is something that can make something rewatchable is quality. Sometimes it's repetition. I mean, we're used to seeing certain elements in films repeated over and over again. We have that in our daily lives. And maybe the best example of that in our daily lives is all the social media we consume. <laughs> <laughs> and our presentation of that on our podcast. Right. And that is right here. Hey there, Pudding People. Don't forget to check us out on our social media accounts so you can keep apprised of everything that we do any time of the day. Richard, you're most on Instagram, right? On the Gram Gram, yes. And what are we best known on Instagram as? Pudding Guys. Easy enough. In fact, that's also what we're known as on Facebook. Now, I'd say we're on Instagram just a little more than we are on Facebook. You might get the occasional update there. We are most active on Twitter, where we are at Real Pudding Guys. 
Uh, we will give you updates about the next episode that's going to be coming at the end of the week when it's released. Any other little updates to the Ultimate Comic Movie Database or the Pop Culture Death Counts will also be there. Um, now, our most exciting changes are going to be coming up soon. We're going to have a new website called Fate, the Film and Television Engine. We're getting close to doing the beta for that. We're still working on the alpha side. We'll be doing a little closed beta and inviting a handful of people into this. I tell you what, it's going to be really, really cool when it releases. Now, you'll be able to also hear about that on our Patreon page. What are we on Patreon, Richard? Budding guys. Pretty easy. Now, right now, it's very easy to support us. How much does it cost, Richard? It's one dollar per month per month not per day per month <laughs> yes twelve dollars for a year yeah uh, that's really not much to help support us as we release new content as we get better equipment to release the content into and when the fate engine comes out it will have its own cost and we're going to make it very affordable for everyone to be involved with this and it's going to be so cool i can't wait for y'all to hear about it now, wasn't that informative and fun? <laughs> yes? Question mark? Yeah, we'll, we'll deal. Question mark. I was talking uh, earlier. It has nothing to do with anything, but it just amazes me uh, that a question, uh, question mark looks so much like the symbol for a glottal stop. For all of you English people out there, that's quite funny. Uh, maybe. I am unaware of what you're speaking of. Glottal stop is the the, the consonant sound when you, um, it's basically a transition of air into a consonant sound. So that's a glottal stop. Interesting. <laughs> it has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but uh, yeah. So you guys learned something today. But uh, on to the fun, on to the fun. So one of the things that got me super excited back uh back with the Captain America Civil War and that made everyone else so excited was the the addition of a character that we never thought would ever be able to get folded into the MCU. And while it's not technically all MCU uh property yet, the 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 working together of studios has made it possible to have an extended number of uh films and appearances by Spider-Man in the MCU. So seeing Spider-Man Homecoming, especially with the fantastic Tom Holland and Zendaya um, at the at the at the lead of that was just so exciting for me. Especially what excited me most was watching the film and we didn't have to see an origin story. Correct. When he was introduced in Civil War, it was a fun little play on the character right like it was it was almost it wasn't an afterthought but it was almost a hey now we can do this let's do this how can we do this okay so tony stark goes and visits him hey is this you uh, i don't know so it's an already <laughs> established character yeah. just kind of in a world that we hadn't paid attention to i love jumping into the middle of things like that and and i think you can't you can't do that with Guardians of the Galaxy. No. But you can do it with Spider-Man. Everybody knows Spider-Man's origin. Everybody knows the story. Everybody knows all the stuff. 
There have been two Spider-Man series before this that <laughs> plowed through all that stuff. Countless just like, television shows. Yeah, it's just yeah. like Batman. Like, we don't need a Batman origin story. We know what happened. If you want to give cheesy flashbacks, uh, okay, I guess. But everybody knows the origin story of those characters. Let's right. just get past all that and have the character already know what's going on, but maybe need some help. Exactly. Now, uh, the director of this film was John Watts. John Watts um, is kind of one of those directors that has been doing this for a little while. And you may not know everything that this uh, individual has done. I mean, sometimes he's done music videos and television series and a variety. In fact, he did the the Onion News Network (laughs) directing some of the episodes of that, which maybe that's one of the reasons uh, it's got that comedic snap to it yeah is that's that's what he's used to already but uh he's he's done all the spider-man films so far and he's going to be doing the fantastic four film uh so that that bodes well um but he's he's done a bunch of other stuff too uh that's been pretty good so uh it wasn't one of those things where oh i hear the name and uh, i'm super excited about it but once I once I realized who it was, it was just kind of nice to to know. And and when we say he's done all the Spider Man movies, we're also speaking of the one that will be out in a couple months. So he's right. got his hand in every movie, every all three of them. And again, the cast on this is just fantastic. Uh, Donald Glover, I love seeing him, even if it's only in a scene. And just, I hope they do something with that character because it's it's so cool. But we'll we'll see what they do with that. Um, having Marissa Tomei be May Parker is a stroke of genius. I mean, don't get me wrong. I I, I I'm perfectly fine with an eighty year old uh, Aunt May, but contemporizing it uh, a little bit, uh, making it a little more interactable, a little more relatable. Um, I, I like that better. Yeah. So if you think you're your 16 year old let's say 16 year old mom dad um maybe it just yes, depends on when they had their kid they could be 40 they could be 50 right so that means aunt which is the sister of mom and dad should be you know around the same age right in in theory if that's how they're truly positioning the character so having and 80 year old aunt may just a little weird just seems maybe it was aunt may because it was a great aunt i, I, I don't no, know no no it really was an aunt i just well okay so part of it also is how how long do you have kids for um like you know sometimes you have a 12 year gap between children if you have enough of them that's so, possible so it's possible to have some especially if you started older okay and then that person has the 10 year gap so it's, it's possible to, to get there. It's just, I didn't like it so much. Uh, I never found it, it never worked quite quite right for me. But, uh, and, oh, what, what, a, what, a, what a get for Michael Keaton as the vulture. I mean, that's, that's crazy. I, I think one of the things when we look at some of these movies and if we know the classic bad guys in the movie... And we'll say it once, we'll say it again. The bad guys, good bad guys make good movies. Yeah. Uh, the original Spider-Man were like, okay, Goblin, Doc Ock. 
okay, the, those are classic characters. That makes sense. And then in the third one, they threw in the kitchen sink and did everybody, and it wasn't that good. Okay, so then the second one, what did they do? Okay, well, they did the lizard. Oh, that, that's good. Yeah, that's that's fresh. Uh, but you still got in the second one what the the goblin. Was it just the goblin? Well, Blue Electro. Electro. And, and Mecha Rhino. Just Jesus. Which were... The rhino character, I imagine, could be hard to do, but if it's just a suit and then they're fused to the the, the suit becomes part of them, that's easy enough to do. I would yeah. imagine the mech one, no. Electro, that's okay. So, like, we're getting into the rogues gallery of all these things, right? So, cool. Like, don't do the same old ones. But, but then you think the vulture. Like, but do it right if yes. you're going to do it. <laughs> now, and, and what what really is the vulture character? Uh, depends when you're reading them, uh, but generally it's it's a dude with wings, and originally he was an old dude with wings. So didn't he have some type of technology that he could suck the life out of people not, and make not himself at first, younger? No, okay. no. There were some there were some shenanigans that happened over the years that sometimes involved similar things to that. But yeah, for the most part, he was just. He was a C-rate villain that you could kind of ignore, but positioning the character like they did in this film, very smart. Yes, changed the changed how you kind of perceived this particular bad guy because he really was a street level. In in this oh, one, yeah. he really was. He wasn't like he wasn't introducing some ultimate gloom and doom. He was just providing bad guys with weapons. And stealing more weapons, like that type of thing. Which is about the level that Vulture should operate at. But in the comics, a lot of time it's laughed off. It's like, you know, Spider-Man should just, you know, use his finger and flick him in the forehead and he wins. (laughs) That should be about it. But uh, having him be a credible threat because of that experience difference and and uh, the way of looking at the world being different. It, it was just, it was so well put together. The, the, the thing that they captured, and I, it took me a long time to figure this out. You know, I liked the original Sam Raimi Spider-Man films, and I felt that Tobey Maguire was a great Peter Parker and an okay Spider-Man, and the stories were okay, and it kind of, it was the first experience with it is great. And then the Andrew Garfield, I never liked his Peter Parker much. I liked his Spider-Man fine, um, but the storyline was just not great. It's like, well, why do I like this one? Why do I like the Tom Holland incarnation of Spider-Man? And I, I figured it out. They they captured something that, that they tried, at least in the first set of films, that they didn't really get. It's the sense of wonder, the sense of hope. Uh, the 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 just absolute joy of doing what he's doing comes through with Tom Holland's performance better than the other two by far, um, and it's it is just great. How can I be a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man if there's no neighborhood? Right. That was in a later movie, but you get the idea. He really cares for the people around him. And it just kind of shows. And like they do in a lot of movies, I feel like they 
kind of dumb down in a certain sense the power levels of oh, these yeah. characters. Definitely. And that makes it in this movie seem like he's more of just um, almost almost in a sense a street level hero. Yeah. Right? So you get some of the I, I wonder if in the future movies they're gonna really kind of amp up his Maybe. Well, I understand though that it's there's a little bit of trickery in there too. So some characters they want to power down more than others, and I don't think they power down Spider Man as much as it appears that they did, because we talked about this uh, at off off air at one point, maybe on air too. I don't know, but in the comics, the whole thing about Spider Man is he he holds back. He does mm-hmm. not. He does not give it his all. So while it looks like you know he's kind of taking his lumps in the film uh, often as he's fighting, he lifts a building off of himself in this film. That's true. After the collapse right. at the factory. How many hundreds of tons is that? <laughs> it's, that's a lot of weight. And so... So yeah, that kind of an appearance, but I'm not I'm not sure how much they I think they left the door open. It's like, yeah, he's a lot stronger than he looks. And and maybe since he's still kind of young to his abilities, maybe he doesn't know the full scope of his abilities yeah. as well. Yeah. Confidence plays a lot into it. They try again, that was also something that never they tried addressing and it never quite worked in the other films, but I think it will to a certain extent and it has already to a certain extent shown in this in a much better way. And I cannot say how good these people act off of each other too. Jacob uh, Batalon or is it Batalon? Batalon 5. Jake and Jacob B. Yeah, we'll call him Jacob B. Him as Ned, man, he freaking nails it. He's good rapport. So good. And having Tony Rov- Revelory as Flash. It's a much different version of Flash. And I actually really like it. I kind of, again, it's more contemporary. I just dug it a lot more. I also like in this movie, you also see just a hint of a few other, quote, bad guys. Mm -hmm. Uh, The one character is labeled, what, the Tinkerer? Yes. And he has a small part. And then you also see... Uh, the shocker in there as well. Yeah. Which you you don't get them presented as the shocker in a sense, right? You just get to see kind of the weapons and a little bit of the coat, right? A little little bit of the coat. Um, But it's just another hint of other notable characters. Scorpion at the end. That's true. At the, uh, at he's already in prison. So you have all these other characters that are in, I mean, because Spider-Man, I feel like has just, so many bad guys that he takes down and then they get collaborate and then they all get taken out at the same time anyway uh and then there was the fun little play on the principal yeah that, Uh, that was a lot of fun so there's a lot of neat elements in this movie in the that aren't in the forefront i i I feel like you get that a lot in all these movies anyway but right there's just some noticeable things here well and that's the other thing that you know just as a as a brief mention that the mcu does so well because they do they understand the product that they're trying to make and they also understand the people that are coming to watch it the different demographics and it's like okay how are you going to hit 
each of these demographics so that they're going to find joy in the movie. Because people that are new to it, okay, fine. They're new to it. It's going to be fresh. But for the comic book fan, and what is driving at least a good chunk of the viewership, well, they've already seen this stuff. They, they already know the character. They're invested in the history. How do you pay homage to that but still have something fresh and new and just tip the hat to things that only they would know and just kind of keep them invested in that way? It's just really well done the way that they do that. And you bring up a good point with the post-credit scenes when the Adrian Toomes character, the vulture, is in the in prison and he's chatting briefly with the one person and you see the scorpion tattoo, but obviously we're led to believe that that is the character that is or will be the scorpion. And we're hoping that what happens with this is just the building blocks for the Sinister Six, which have been in discussion for separate movies or, or whatever for the longest time. And if it ends up in Sony's hands, it'll probably be doo-doo. But if it stays in the MCU... There's a chance. There's a chance. It's just all about the contracts. And I, I think... I don't know. It, it's unfortunate that the other movies, like the, the Venom movies, and we'll see with Morbius, if those are making a ton of money, it's going to stay with Sony. Yeah. So. That would that would be a mistake. Uh, don't get me wrong. I don't necessarily want to add anything to the evil empire that is Disney. But as much as I don't want everything under one roof, they're doing right by Marvel, and it's been it's been great. So long as they pay the owners uh, what they're owed, you know the, the creators that you know are now legally in the position to make a chunk off of what they created. I'm I'm good with that. Yeah. All right, so we're going to finish up strong uh, with a film that changed a lot of people's minds on a particular franchise in the MCU as the third film after what I thought was a very solid first film and a kind of eh second film uh, coming with just a fantastic third installment. We've got Thor Ragnarok in 2017. I think one of the big differences that you notice in this one besides the look, the feel, the characters, the humor, everything, the driving force behind that is it's a different director. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, they brought in Branagh for the first film because they they wanted that kind of original 60s, 70s Thor presentation, but, you know, Shakespearean. So who better to do that? And I thought he did great with that. And then they brought in the director for the second film. I'm really not sure why. Um, I'm, I imagine Mr. Brannon didn't want to do another one. Yeah, it's possible. Um, and, and truthfully, I don't know how much of that falls at the feet of the director on that film. It just, it just didn't congeal. I think it just, for whatever reason, it, whether it was the, the writing, whether it was the timing, whether it was a handful of different things, it just didn't quite go, but bringing in Taika Waititi, who is one of the funniest dudes on the planet, uh, just understands comedy and understands conversation in film. I mean, that's that's his strength. And that, that, I think, is maybe some of where things didn't quite hit in the first and the second films for some people. It's a lot of the conversations were just didn't, didn't 
become relatable. Uh, take a look. Uh, take a look at his other work. His his work with vampires. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's way over there in the shadows. It's so good. But I think the other thing too is when you maybe think about Thor, that character from the classical sense, it's not. It's not comedy Thor. No, right? no, and it's not. that's what you just said. You you wanted the classical theater presentation of that character, which we got, and there's not really anything wrong with that. No, you know, if you watch some of the other cartoons that are out there, and you have that character, it it comes off with a completely different attitude, which is fine and works in certain contexts. But I th- I think the fact that they changed this in this movie which then led to changes obviously in later move like the uh, you know end game i think it just it's a completely completely different change of pace which one brought people more into this character and this family of, of characters yeah but two maybe even stretched it out more too meaning these this movie and the avengers movies might have really been the last thing that they did for thor maybe but since it was so popular, since uh, Chris Hemsworth had such a good time in doing this presentation of the character, now he's back to do more of that character, right? So a lot yeah. of the other franchises lasted three three films, mm-hmm. and he's coming back for a fourth. So that's a nice that's a nice change, simply because of this movie. Well, and it's and it's so well woven into the uh, other MCU films, and this is a criticism that's occasionally levied at the MCU is that a lot of their films, you don't get as much content because there's so much of the film that's seeding future films and and dropping hints and and tying into existing franchises that you're not left with as much time. You'd say, well, that maybe happens with this because, you know, Doctor Strange is in it and they're they're tying other things into it. But I don't think that's a weakness. I think that's a strength because that's the whole thing about comics. If you read a comic book, you get guest stars all the time. I mean, if you, if you had a, a Spider-Man comic and somebody didn't drop by every three to four issues, I would be surprised. It just it just didn't happen, and that's that's the thing because they're all living in the same area. Of course, they're going to be running into each other. How many superheroes are there? There's not that many, so yeah, they're going to run into each other regularly. Um, and it's just that the casting of everything. Obviously, Tom Hiddleston as Loki is just brilliant as he always is. Um, Kate Blanchett as Hela. I would not have expected, but I liked. I really thought she did great. She's she's got a she's always had that kind of um, regal uh, thing that she can do, and it, it works well. Um, I would have again talking about other directors, other attempts putting in Jeff Goldblum as Grandmaster would have annoyed the crap out of me because the Grandmaster is like one of the I don't want to say sinister, but one of the more conniving and calculating and powerful villains in the comics and to turn him into kind of a petty dictator uh, that likes to throw parties. (laughs) It's just like, what? That should not, I should be really mad at that. I'm not, but I should be. The, the, the presentation of the planet 
and the pr- presentation of a, a couple of storylines that they kind of melded together. Now, one of I think one of the fan favorites is the Planet Hulk storyline. Yes. And you can actually go watch. It might still be on Netflix. I'm not sure. But the Planet Hulk animated movie is available to watch. It's been out for a while. I don't know how well that represents the actual comic storyline. It does not. But if you look, even if you look at that compared to what you see here, it's different. Like it's a completely different thing. Had to be. But you had to have. If you're going to try to bring in some of that storyline, okay. Because if you're not going to tell the whole Planet Hulk story, and you're never going to see it, and there's never going to be a Hulk movie just because of Universal owning the character, and you can't have Hulk in the headline, right? Like right, Hulk, weird. Hulk can't be the main character or can't be the headline character in a movie because of ownership, or whatever it is. This is a way to sneak in some of those elements. Uh, and the only element that I hope that they introduce sometime in the future is Beta Ray Bill. Oh, man. I, I really want to see that. You get the face, right? You get the face. Face on the building, and that's all you get. And I hope there's more to that later on down the road. I thought Tessa Thompson was a great choice for Valkyrie. I mean, yeah, her look is not the traditional look. And talking about that little nod to the fans, having that little flashback where you get to see the traditional Valkyrie look in them fighting Hilo in the first place. But I thought that was a great kind of, again, bringing things into a, a, a modern um, a modern way of looking at things, uh, having Clancy Brown do the voice of Surtur. Uh, give him as much work as you can because that, that dude is a legend. Um, Carl Urban, who is, we've talked about many times, our love for that actor. And the Scourge character, I always, I always really liked it. He'd been gone for so long in the comics, and to see him pop up in the film was just great. It, it was cool. I wanted more from that character. Yeah, but I guess we got what we got. Uh, I, I, I'd like to see more. Anytime we can see more of Carl Urban, hey, that's excellent. Yeah. And is he slated to do anything else besides like the boys? I'm really not sure. I'm not sure. It'd be great to have him back in some other form or fashion, whether it's Marvel or DC, because, you know, he's awesome. He's one of our favorites anyway. But once again, it's you're presented with a Thor movie, right? Right. But you get all of those extra characters in there from side plots, side storylines, and I, I it, without overdoing the senses right right right. the the just the the korg character which shows up again later on too yeah i think it was an excellent touch and that korg character that we got in this movie is not like the korg character no so once again fun right right Right. even idris elba got a chance to really shine as heimdall in this film i mean he he got he got some combat in the second film, which was all right, uh, but again, it got tarnished a little bit by the quality level of the film all all around. But I really wish he would have liked uh, doing that part because uh, he made a great Heimdall. Um, but yeah, just so the plot it moved along, it was it was engaging. Uh, I mean, if 
and we talked about this when we reviewed it. I mean, maybe my only real complaint was killing the Warriors three as fast as they did. It's insignificant. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. that, that kind of pissed me off a little bit, but, uh, you know, yeah, this is just a fantastic film. Um, but I also like that in even the Warriors three, we didn't get the lady Sif. Where's she at? Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> the, the people that had their brief appearance were the same people that played those characters in the previous films as well. Sort of. Zachary Except, except for one. <laughs> one so, of them had one previous film. <laughs> he was in the second one. Yeah. He was in the second one. So they the still one. carried over. It, wasn't he? Gosh, he was got to be close to doing Shazam. in this. Real movie. close. Yeah. So just to see that even he, well, he was only in it for like a blink of an eye. So it didn't really matter. <laughs> hey, do you have a day to come in and, and make like, we're just going to kill 50 you anyway. grand or something. Oh yeah. I can, I can do that. So, uh, no problem. Yeah. But yeah, all in all fantastic film. I enjoy seeing it. I've seen it a couple times. Uh, just the, the Led Zeppelin choice again, talking about music at the right time. Just, it helps to make up for, you know, little bits of things that don't make any sense. I was the thunder god all along, except you can shock me and knock me out anytime you want. <laughs> yes. I'd, sure. And you get the power levels that kind of fluctuate a bit because he can get blasted by a a star and be okay. But he has one little thing stuck to him and he's <laughs> knocked out. Knocked out. <laughs> Goes toe-to-toe with the Hulk, which the Hulk is, we've, we've talked, he's yeah. kind of dumbed down a little bit. A little bit. In, in this particular movie. But, you got I don't know, you got a little bit of everything. Yeah, he used to toe-to-toe with Thanos and just beat the, start the beating the snot out of him. And it's like, yeah, but uh, small things can get in my way. <laughs> a little bit. But that's okay, because it's still an awesome film. So... What did you all think? Were these your favorite set compared to the other ones we discussed in the previous episode regarding comic book movies in 2017? Uh, Did we miss any? You can always let us know. Uh, We've already told you where we are and how to get a hold of us. But uh, we will be finishing up this before much longer. We've only got... 18, 19, 20. Yeah. I think it's 21. Yeah, well, we won't do 21 until it's 2022. So... We really only have three years left, and there's not a lot in two of those years. So we only have a handful of episodes left of this. And then we'll be tackling some other concepts. And uh, and that is kind of what I was going to say at the end of this. If you want us to talk about any other historical aspects, you know, always let us know. We're, We're looking for interesting ideas. We've got some good stuff coming up. But if you think of something that you'd love to know about, we would love to talk about it. But until, uh, until next week, keep watching movies and uh, keep enjoying this thing, this, this zeitgeist that we share together. Acid vomit? <laughs> I was wondering if you would go there. 